This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast as we wrap up another weekend. It has been an eventful one for the wrong reasons when we focus in on athletics at the college level, specifically the upcoming 2020 college football season. Probably as much of a gut punch as we've experienced covering Penn State uh, and, and everything that's going on since back in March when the cancellations and postponements made this thing uh, feel extremely uncertain. And, and after some good vibes in June and then the end of spring, early summer, Reality setting in for what this college football season is going to look like if we get there. It will not involve non-conference games in the Big Ten. That announcement coming on Thursday. We're going to get to the impact on Penn State, repercussions across college football. Bringing in my co-host Sean Fitz right now. And Sean, it felt like on Wednesday when the Ivy League announced that they would be uh, skipping the fall sports season entirely, including football, of course, that wasn't necessarily the first domino to fall because they are in a different category entirely than what we're looking at with, with Power 5 conferences. But the way the wind has been blowing, uh, this is not necessarily a shocker. It hurts nonetheless. And my worry here is that it's just the first part of the Band-Aid being ripped off for us. We're going to learn a lot in the next few weeks. Very curious to see how the Big Ten approaches reshuffling the deck and putting together uh, its conference schedule if it's going to look different. But as of right now, Sean, we've got no Penn State games on the books until September 26th. And it's hard to wrap your mind around where 2020 continues to take us. Yeah, and first off, I'm glad you added the qualifier in terms of the gut punch uh, since March because there was there was one before that on my tenure that was more of a kick to the different part of the anatomy oh, at the start of the last decade. But uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's uh, it, it's a step toward the next step, I would guess. Um, there's there's really no f- uh, finality in this decision, but I mean, you kind of get you, you lop off Kent State, Virginia Tech, and San Jose State. Obviously, Virginia Tech is one we've been talking about for a long time was a big game, was going to be a big trip for a lot of people. That one seemed to, you know, you, you just saw the optimism sort of wearing out over the last couple of weeks when talking about playing the non-conference schedule. Switching to just the conference schedule, it makes sense in some instances. I can see why they did it. You can do it with all sports, uh, with all fall sports, if that's the direction you're going to go in, where you can, you know, keep testing at a conference level. You can sort of contain things by playing the same schools and the same uh, uh, the same programs in that conference. I mean, it, it, it's it sucks because you're not going to see what Notre Dame going to, uh, you know, you could see Wisconsin going to Maryland, but not going to Notre Dame or, you know, it's just the, there's so many different little things that that don't add up. But at the same time, I mean, it's a step toward the, the next step. And, and the next step, we saw the ACC do it. The SEC is probably going to move that way. The Pac-12, you know, it's it, I think it's inevitably the next step and it, it sucks you know 
in practically every industry that anyone is involved in right now globally, there have been major logistical concerns raised over the course of these four going on five months now and uh, college football, no exception. I think one thing they're doing here is trying to slash some of that uncertainty. Uh, Here is the quote from the Big Ten in that statement released on Thursday, uh, quote, by limiting competition to other Big Ten institutions, the conference will have the greatest flexibility to adjust its own operations throughout the season and make quick decisions in real time based on the most current evolving medical advice and the fluid nature of the pandemic. And that's that's the thing that we've got to remember here, Sean, is this is not just a set it and forget it. Okay, we altered the schedule. Let's go play football. This is going to be a continued, as we've talked about, the phrase has been beaten to death day-to-day process uh, through the course of the season. And you may get two games in before you encounter a huge issue. You may not get to a first game before you encounter a huge issue. As we reported last week from Sandy Barber's conversation, the first round of of testing for Penn State student-athletes couldn't have gone any better. Zero tests on on 102 102 tests, zero positive cases uh, from from that first uh, wave from what we understand. That's great. Uh, There are a lot of challenges ahead. Penn State is only one of these Big Ten institutions, and the Big Ten is only one of five Power Five conferences. So uh, I I think right now it eliminates these three opponents for Penn State, but you're right. You mentioned some of the other casualties, and my, my concern is how do they affect any kind of semblance of trying to put together a, a college football playoff resume when, when this committee already has enough, you know, issues deciding between four and five and, and non-conference champions versus conference champions. And there's all that confusion already. Now you take off the board, Ohio State versus Oregon. Both of those teams are viewed as playoff contenders. Uh, Michigan versus Washington. Uh, notable matchup, of course. Wisconsin versus Notre Dame. Iowa versus Iowa State. Uh, you know that that's a that's one that goes on each year. And this year, I think a lot of folks viewed it as as a, a pretty big time matchup. Maybe not the impacting the college football playoff pursuit, but we're talking about really ranked matchups here. And this is just the ones that concern the Big Ten. The ACC has followed suit and going to a conference only mode that came down. I think within an hour or two of the Big Ten announcement. Which, by the way, I was surprised to see Sean. Uh, based on the reporting we saw at 24-7 Sports, guys like Brandon Marcello have been all over this from our national team. This was not something that w- was apparently discussed and and, and kind of locked in by the Big Ten with other Power Five conferences. So there has definitely been that proverbial domino effect, and you've got some conferences holding out on making any decisions and, and trying to do that for as long as possible. But I can't imagine now that the wheel is turning that 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 the SEC, the Big Twelve, are are gonna go too far down the road without addressing their own personal schedules and how they're going to be impacted by the other Power Five conferences. Uh, just based on the reporting out there, and by the way, Nicole Auerbach of the Athletic, the first one to to break the story in, on the Big Ten, but uh, just based on the reporting out there, not too many people happy with the Big Ten about the way they've handled this. And that's neither here nor there. That's just something we can complain about, uh, you know, for, for days or weeks or whatever we do now. Um, but it, it's uh, it, it's a decision to sort of take the lead and sort of say, hey, we have to deal with this and this is how we're going to deal with it. I do agree that that others will fall in line. Um, that's going to really stink for the group of five teams. Uh, I talked to a couple coaches in the MAC yesterday who are just terrified. I mean, this is going to cripple some programs in in the group of five. Um, it's it's going to be a, a really bad uh, outing for those guys. But, um, 
you mean this is the time, I guess, when you got to take care of, of your own, and that's what the Big Ten really set out to do. Um, you know, you, you lose those non-conference schedules. You sort of uh, mix and match your schedule. I'm not sure what that's going to look like in terms of what they do to add the 10th game um, or space out that calendar. I don't know if this changes. You know, Penn State's uh, first scheduled game is the 26th of September against Northwestern. Does that change in terms of uh, spreading out the schedule, adding a game before that? Um, adding weeks in between um, now 10, 10 games in 13 weeks, or excuse me, 10 games over the 13 game schedule, typical 13 game schedule gives you a little bit more buffer. If you want to add some weeks in there, just in case something does happen, I don't, I don't know how it's going to work out. Um, that's a balance that they're going to have to find. And I'm not sure it's going to be, you know, it's, it's going to be, it's going to make everyone happy, but uh, I mean, this is what we got right now. You look at the schedule as currently constructed, September 26th, the first one uh, still remaining home against Northwestern, the homecoming matchup. That's one that we had talked about. Uh, you know, keep your eye on for uh, maybe the first official visit uh, weekend that, that's going to really matter during the season. Forget about official visits for now. We don't know where recruiting stands. We're just trying to see if football games can take place. We don't know how many people will be watching them in Beaver Stadium if they're able to happen. But down the road, uh, you know, they go at Michigan and then they got a bye week, Sean. Um, and then home against Iowa, home against Ohio, uh, home against Ohio State at Indiana, at Nebraska versus Michigan State versus Maryland at Rutgers. So along the way, they have the one bye week Columbus Day weekend. They're off October 10th. If it was to be, you know, let's say three bye weeks along the course of a conference only schedule, as you kind of, uh, you know, mentioned there. Man, I feel like bye weeks got to be terrifying for for coaching staffs so just to kind of contemplate what they're facing. You know, usually it's a time for for being able to go, you know, make a quick trip back home if, if you live within striking distance for the weekend. Uh, you know, put your feet up. But right now, we we heard Sandy Barber say student athletes, if they're leaving campus, they've got to go through the whole process if they want if they want to get back inside the bubble here at, at Penn State. They they've got to you know go through quarantine. They've got to get tested again. And it's just, you know, I'm sure that players are going to be discouraged from leaving the university. We've talked about what happens when the whole student population maybe returns to town. Uh, and in and, and late August, uh, you know, I think that right now it's fair to say you wonder if that's still feasible and, and, and a return to the classroom. We're hearing about it at all levels. You've got two young boys who have not been in the classroom for a while. I'm sure you're wondering uh, about that on a day-to-day basis. And, and I think it's fair to do that at the collegiate level. So many questions for, for not just getting out there and keeping your guys safe and, and playing in these football games, but what is going on when they're not at program facilities? How would these bye weeks factor in? And, and then you're kind of taking into account if one of these teams on your schedule doesn't approach this the right way or just things go off the tracks because circumstances dictate on their campus how is that going to then be a ripple effect across the conference if that team is either eliminated from being able to compete for a couple weeks or is out for the season? Uh, just just so much hanging over our heads trying to think about it and talk about it here just on the podcast. Imagine waking up in, in, in a head coach's shoes or in an athletic uh, department official's shoes or a Big Ten official's shoes. I mean, every day you're probably just waiting for the next shoe to drop. And you and you look at across the country. I mean, you look at the coaches and the athletic directors, just sort of, um, I guess, mobilizing for one final push to try and get football back with the with the mask movement and everything like that. And you know, asking people to to, to take their responsibilities seriously, or they won't have football. And I think that that's so, you know, <laughs> you mentioned the playoff picture here, and that's 
sort of the least of the worries. I would love to talk about the playoff picture. Mm. Like that's that that would be a spot where I would love to find myself in in four months talking about uh, does does a conference only schedule aff- affect your playoff picture and playoff status. I mean that's that's the kind of things that are just kind of really secondary. I see you have a couple things written down here with with you know conference titles. Would that be the be all end all? Would there be no playoff or yeah, anything that's like what that? I do wonder. I, I mean, it's it, there's so many what ifs and and those are very, very much secondary in nature right now. I mean, impact on on program records and career status. I mean, do we see players on that top level, the Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence and unfortunately Micah Parsons, do we see them again? I mean, that's that's sort of uh, where this discussion is creeping in that direction. So, I mean, it's a, it's a lot of crazy stuff and I, I, I don't think that i mean obviously you and i don't have those answers and and uh but until then i mean you just kind of adjust and then you know make those decisions when they come about and i think that's something that probably penn state's going to approach with their on-campus learning with their approach to the fall semester and i I think that that's you know probably the right way to go about it and you know you're going to lose some things along the way and just so happens right now that you're losing that non-conference schedule Everyone kind of needs to to check their perception of of what success is on the foot uh, for a football season right now, uh, because again, if maybe the Big Ten is the top possible prize, and and will there be a Big Ten championship game at a neutral site? Is that something that can even be pulled off, or or you know, would it be the uh, it actually in a Big Ten stadium this year? Is that possible as they try to keep it within the conference? But you got to get there first, right? You've got to actually get through these nine, ten games to the point where you can try to figure out who's going to win your conference. And I don't know if every conference is going to reach the finish line. I don't know if every team is going to reach the finish line. You've got Ohio State uh, putting their voluntary workouts on hold right now, and you know Buckeyes fans are, you know, the, the you know the ones who are focusing on wins. They're viewing that as a, as a as a competitive issue, and, and from a health standpoint, it's really not about that in any way, shape, or form, but. Certainly, you know, when, when you've got fan bases like here at Penn State, like at Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama, you know, national championship is, is the goal. And, 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 you know, the coaches set that standard. And when we lost that on spring practice, it was about, well, who's going to hit the ground running in the summer and be able to put themselves in a spot to get there. You know, now, now you're wondering what, what can you accomplish this summer? You've still got, while you've got players on campus, everyone's pretty divided up and into positions and into small groups and uh, Zoom meetings still. So it's not a full fledged, you know, program experience right now. And the goal is to get on the field in August and, and, and get in, you know, three, four solid weeks of practice. But you're not going to have any kind of tune up before the Big Ten. We've been talking about the importance of that. Uh, with a first-year offensive coordinator, uh, new play caller, and new coaches across the offense. How beneficial, uh, you know, a couple cupcakes, as you would anticipate, Kent State and San Jose. I think Kent State better than last time Penn State would have seen them in 2018, but still a team that you'd expect Penn State to be able to roll over. Uh, San Jose State, certainly in that case. And then Virginia Tech, very much viewed as an early season test for Penn State. They were ranked 24th in that preseason top 25 that 24-7 sports put out. And in my mind, if Penn State was going to go down to Virginia Tech, we'd learn a lot about them, wh- whether they were you know, going to be exposed in some ways and, 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 and take a loss down there in Blacksburg, or if they went down there and, and really took it to the Hokies in, in some way, came home with a convincing win, that would have been a potential early springboard toward really getting them in that playoff conversation. But we'll see if playoff conversations even happen. Uh, I think, you know, I keep coming back here at a local front now living in this community since 2017, and, and you've been a, a, around here much longer. 
you know, the people who are being affected personally uh, far away from the football field, this community is, is as of now, losing two of its seven Saturdays. And we know how important those college football Saturdays are here for the local economy and, and how much people are counting on it. And I just I just hate to think that that they could lose more games than, than what we've already seen lost. And, and that's why we're talking about this, you know, just doing whatever they can to salvage the season is there's so much money at stake, not only for these programs, but local economies and everything like that. So, I mean, that's uh, I think that's one reason the spring is so far on the back burner right now in terms of, of moving the season, uh, you know, a couple of months back, because number one, you don't know what it's going to look like in September. You really don't know what it's going to look like in February or March. So, I mean, it's uh, it, it's tough to deal with that. Uh, I'm really disappointed we're not going to see a game-winning 60-yarder by Jordan Stout in Lane Stadium. Mm. But, you know, those are the things that, that, that are just kind of going by the wayside. His kickoff might have actually gone outside the stadium down there. I mean, he was so jacked up for this game. And, you know, they've got a great presence on their roster from Virginia, guys who seriously consider Virginia Tech. Devin Ford uh, comes to mind as someone who was looking at the Hokies, and, and they were after him throughout his high school career. And that goes for a lot of the Virginia guys they, they got. And, you know, it, it, they've never played Virginia Tech. It's hard to believe that, that they have a matchup on the schedule for 2025 at, at Beaver Stadium. Um, we got a long way to get there, but you know, I, I don't know what's going to happen with all these opponents that are going off the board for teams uh, out of the conference in 2020. How many will actually see get rescheduled in the near future? And it's just you know these these teams like Penn State, we're talking about out of conference schedule g- going deep into this decade as far as the, the already being set. They've got Auburn coming up, West Virginia coming up. We'll see if, if Virginia Tech still fits in there somewhere. One thing I, I had a question about, Sean, and um, just, just pop it out. And there's a lot of questions, but from a from a personnel standpoint, from how this is going to impact the players, I did write down here, you know, unfortunately, we're going to have some on balance, even if they do get to play 10 games uh, in terms of being able to, to measure career stats against past Penn State players because they are losing these games. Um, you know, that's just something that, that for a stat nerd like me, I, I think that stands out. But what does this mean for a red shirting? You know, you, know you, you this has been the plan where you probably get to uh, unload the sidelines quite a bit, get some action for first year guys uh, in games like Kent State, San Jose State, uh, and that uh, those aren't on the table anymore. And and with every game uh, being in the Big Ten, seemingly you know you, you've got an opportunity here uh, to to maybe go chase the conference title at the very least. Without full spring practice, without you know knowing what summer is going to look like, it's a very very hard year for any staff to to think that they can rely on freshman impact. And unfortunately, for freshmen to 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 really, yeah, I think sink their teeth into a situation and feel comfortable enough. I mean, there are some very special talents out there that that may be able to to handle this, but there is just absolutely no precedent for what this freshman class faces at Penn State or anywhere else in terms of welcome to college football, go play and, and try to find a way not to not to fall behind. It, I, I just I think it's a tough task. Well, that's it's on both ends of the class, too. I mean, it's it's with a guy like Keandre Lambert who missed the spring and you were expecting to, to maybe be a decent chunk of your offense this year. I mean, how prepared is he going to be? And on the flip side, you got those, pro- you know, we talked about Bryce Mostella last time, you got these projects and you're not sure what kind of uh, growth they went underwent when they were away from campus. And now all of a sudden you get them back and you've got to spend your time or 
I guess, uh, bank your time for the guys that are actually going to be on the field more so than the guys that you're trying to develop. And, you know, are, are your practices fragmented? Do you have different guys in different areas? And I think it's just going to all really trickle down. What's interesting to me on the flip side of that, if you're looking for kind of a silver lining, you do have those four games with, with these freshmen and, you know, you might, you might have to use them in a situation where you may lose a player for a couple of weeks because of, you know, maybe test positive or something like that. So you've got some flexibility there. Four out of 10 is much different than four out of 13. And you take the non-conference games out of it. And all of a sudden, you know, maybe, maybe it's a little bit more uh, special teams action or something like that, but you had the flexibility where you could play those guys and not lose a year of experience. Like I said, we'll file that one under um, discussions that we really hope we're having in a couple of months, but um, it's, uh, it's certainly there's, there's, there's a couple of sides to that. And I, I can see positives to that and negatives. Yeah, we we heard some emotion in the voices of a couple of Penn State players this week um, in speaking with Jonathan Sutherland, a safety and special teams captain, captain for Penn State, and Zach Coons. Both of them very aware that, that the season seems to be hanging in the balance and you're never sure what the day's news is going to bring. But focusing in on the football aspect of this, because Zach Coons is a player that we've gotten a lot of questions about this offseason, last offseason, during his recruitment process, because a fascinating physical specimen, six foot seven, uh, was a state hurdles champion in Pennsylvania as a senior at Camp Hill High School, um, was a thousand yard receiver as a senior and an all state performer. And, and he was a top five tight end prospect. And we can forget about some of this stuff because the guy who signed with him in that class and actually committed before him in the 2018 cycle, Pat Fryermuth has started the last 22 games. He is, is put himself in consideration to be viewed as a program legend when it's all said and done at the tight end spot. Uh, but Zach Koontz, don't forget about him. Uh, uh, he's eyeing that breakout this year. It would be huge for Penn State if he can deliver on it. But we got some updated uh, information from Zach himself. Uh, he's, he's checking in right around what his roster weight would indicate, two, two, 252 to 255 right now. When he got to campus in 2018, he was six foot seven, 220. So we're talking about more than 30 pounds up. But he has said it's been fascinating to him personally to, to watch that weight go up and watch his athleticism actually improve along the way. He's down to a, he said it's four, six, two, four, six flat almost range in the 40 yard dash, 38 and a half inch vertical is what he reported to us. Ultimately, Sean, he, he wants to fulfill this dynamic duo mission that him and Pat Fryermuth set out on when they signed as, as two top 10 tight ends in the, in the 2018 class. Pat Fryermuth has, has gone so far in his career so quickly. Zach Kuntz, year number three, hopes it's the big breakthrough moment. But he understands it's going to come down to his ability to be an effective blocker because Nick Bowers filled that role so well last year. And, and when called upon in the passing game, he did contribute. But Koontz knows he, he, this is about balance, and he feels like he's achieved that with what he brings to the position. We'll find out, but man, that would be a huge X factor if he can take a, a leap in, in year number one with Kirk Chiraka. Yeah, give, given the rankings, it's not really what you expected. I mean, well, obviously, we talked about you know those two arm in arm throughout the process, but you know Koontz was the higher ranked guy. He was also the bigger project, and Fryermuth was ready to go. I didn't really, I didn't really think that. Uh, yeah, that we knew how good he could be. I mean, we thought he could be good and ready to go and, you know, ready to go right away. But for him to take it where he's taken it, it's just kind of, it's gone crazy. Kuntz was a different story. Obviously, weight has always been an issue for him. I mean, he's 254 pounds right now. 
And honestly, you look at him and you think he's still 230 or something like that. So that's must be nice. It's carrying weight that well. Yeah. That'd be fantastic. (laughs) Uh, but it's, it's a situation where he's got to continue to evolve him, you know, evolve as an all around tight end where, you know, he was always this receiver. He was always this guy that was, you know, just taller than everybody, faster than everybody, just all, you know, just all around, uh, you know, more productive in that role where he's got to learn to be a different type of tight end. And that's what's kind of fascinating to me about uh, this battle between he and Brett and Strange, because they're both really, really good athletes, uh, different body types. Strange has gotten that weight, whereas Koontz, you know, it's taken him a couple of years to, to get where he is. You know, Strange is at that same weight, you know, after one year. So it's a different sort of uh, uh, ascent to the physical pl- uh, place where you want those guys to be. But, you know, we we saw in practice, I mean, Koontz would just go up and over first team DBs, linebackers, whatever it was, make things happen. And, you know, I, I can't really get that out of my head when I talk about the, the potential impact that he has. And when you couple that with Penn State's situation at wide receiver, I think you see more uh, of, of the two tight end looks that we saw last year. But, you know, I don't think it's going to look the same. Nick Bowers is a different type of tight end than, than Zach Koontz. Um, so it's a situation where... It can really help you from in, in a substitution pattern type of thing where you can take two tight ends, put them on the field, split Zach Koontz out, you know, split Pat Firemuth out, and then, you know, continue to run that up the field. Where, whereas if you had to switch from, you know, a, t- a typical 11 personnel to, to bringing that second tight end in, you would have to give the defense a chance to adjust. So this is a sort of an advantage, a schematic advantage that Penn State could have by having these different type of tight ends, by having them fulfill these different roles. And, you know, maybe you're not not going out there and asking him to sit and run the same routes that Jahan Dotson is, but you can put him in the same spot and you can move those guys around and eventually you can, you know, sort of, uh, you know, out chess match the other guy. So I, I think that's really where, where Kuntz is going to find his value, but it's, it's going to be a battle. Brenton Strange, I think is going to be really good and he's got, you know, and, and they're both, still at that tier or a couple tiers below Pat Fryermuth. So there's there's no unseating Fryermuth, but I think there is value in that second tight end. Uh, I, it was one of the things I was looking forward to the most in spring and seeing which one of those could could grab that spot and run with it because I think it's a really talented room and I think it's whoever wins that spot is going to have some sort of impact. You're still going to be the, the second tight end and, and a guy lower on the receiving charts, but you can also help to change defenses and open things up for other guys. A tier below Pat Fryermuth, which means they have that in common with essentially every tight end in college football right now. And Penn State, Zach Kuhn said it. We've talked about the possibility. He believes they have the best tight end room in the country. They certainly have the, the if you go off recruit rankings and, and ratings, they've assembled a hell of a group. Uh, now we have to see Koontz and Strange in extended action validate that. You've got Theo Johnson. What are you getting out of him in his first year on campus coming off of a, sh- a shoulder injury? And you've got another you know kind of project to work on long term with Tyler Warren. We'll see where it takes him. But you mentioned Strange goes from 214 upon his 2019 enrollment. Uh, last uh, roster update now listed at 242 pounds at six foot three. So giving up four inches uh, to, to Koontz, but also uh, only about 12 pounds or so. And by the way, Theo Johnson, you know, stood out to me six foot six, 249 is how he's initially listed on that roster. That's more in that Pat Fryermuth territory. I think Pat was already 245 plus when, when he got to campus in May of, of 2018. And you're right, the word on those two when, when they came in together, although we, we spoke about them in the same sentence a lot during that recruiting cycle was, you know, 
Koontz has this crazy ceiling. What can you do with 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 this guy who has got athletic attributes off the chart? Um, maybe we'll find out by 2020, 2021. Pat Fryermuth, it always felt like the floor is pretty high, and, and he's a guy who should be able to come in and, and compete right away. That has come to fruition. The, the scouting port, report has been pretty accurate on both, and and maybe ultimately you do see both players validate their you know status as lofty tight end talents. Fryermuth's already done it. He's already exceeded his expectations, I would say, with certainty. And maybe Kuntz still, you know, I think people that say, I guess Kuntz isn't going to live up to being a top five tight end because he's not currently starting on Penn State's roster. Let's see how it goes. He's a redshirt sophomore. Pat Fryermuth's not going to be around forever. Uh, I know you got Johnson and Strange, and and, and they're going to always provide competition, but... Koontz could be a major, major weapon for this Penn State offensive attack. And if it doesn't happen in 2020, no reason to think that that maybe 2021 might not be his year. But he says he feels like this is the year. He feels like he's going to be able to show he's ready to take on that job. And that leads me uh, really quickly to tease something we'll do next week, Sean. You put together a list of the 15 most vital Penn State players for 2020 success. Koontz is not on that list, uh, but you've got 15 names there. Um, it was a pretty fascinating read. S- some names I didn't quite expect. Others, they were they were slam dunks and easy, especially towards the top of that list. But uh, it's something that I figured we could go through um, maybe with the first episode next week. Maybe the second episode, we'll see how, how news plays out uh, and, and kind of run through that list uh, for, for who's vital to 2020 success. Obviously, aside from the medical staff that is evaluating uh, the, the COVID-19, that's the most vital situation. Yeah, and it's and it's just players on that list. Um, I wanted to add Kirk Shiraka because obviously I think he's number one. Um, Taylor Stubblefield's important. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, the new coaches all obviously important, but we wanted to keep it to players because you know you can kind of fold those in and and make uh, Sean Clifford about Kirk Shiraka and vice versa. So we, we stuck to players, but there's a lot in there. I do encourage you to check it out. Um, it's uh, there. There are some surprising numbers, and you know, you and I, I bounced it off of you and Mark, and it seems about right. And and obviously, I did it, so it seems very right. So <laughs> um, yeah, definitely check that out on site. Uh, by the way, uh, Kirk Shiraka was on the list that I, I know you kind of modeled this after a little bit. There was a, a was stole it, it if what, you want if you want to call was it. it. I forget it was Barton Simmons. I think put it together. I forget who put it together at this point. But um, at the national level for twenty four seven sports, there was uh, 20, 20 people who will ultimately swing the twenty twenty football season. Kirk Shiraka was on that list as people are, are you know. Either elevating their expectations or, or applying a question mark to what this Penn State offense will be and can be in 2020 with a new play caller. Um, we're going to wrap up our first segment there. When we get back, we'll talk about some recruiting um, notes, a few commitment dates set now on the on the Penn State radar. Which one should Nittany Lions fans truly be paying attention to? Our five-star mailbag to get to. And it is the dead period. But there are some prospects that have checked out campus and will check out campus. How is that working? Why is that possible? We'll dive into that right around the corner. Stay with us here in the Lions 24-7 podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 
turning our attention to the recruiting trail where just like we discussed the 2020 college football season, there is a lot of murkiness when we look at what's going on for these prospects as the 2021 cycle moves forward. Ready or not, early signing period is just about uh, you know four months, four and a half months away at this stage. And uh, you know, that's pretty remarkable considering the lack of travel that has taken place. And speaking of that, Sean, you wrote up something on Friday morning on lines247.com about although this is a dead period, there is no in-person recruiting. You're not seeing coaches, you know, walking families across campus like we would normally see. You're riding around in golf carts. There have been some instances where players and their families have taken it upon themselves to to get to campus, at least get a feel for for what life is like around there. And I'm sure they have some notes to guide them along the way. Um, but as you as you wrote, this has happened in the past and, and looks like it will continue to happen with uh, some notable names. Well, I mean, you, you look at the cycle as a whole and you think that this might be their only opportunity to, to get out and see these things. I mean, summer is obviously a time for, you know, sort of vacations. And, and usually when you're at that point in the process or you're sort of on that level, your vacations you know, rotate around where you can go see schools. So it's not all that different. But at the same time, I mean, it's it, it's very much... Um, a different experience when you talk about what you're trying to see, who you're trying to see. You cannot interact with coaches. It's not a thing that that happens. I mean, you can uh, you can call coaches, you can talk to them while you're on t- on campus, but it's not like you can bump into them and run into them. Um, that's something that people will find out, and uh, it's it's very different. So you know, it, you know, I have to imagine that you know, the coaches kind of point them in the right direction in terms of things that they should see on campus and, you know, things that they need to check out if they're going to seriously consider a, a place like Penn State. And, you know, that kind of makes sense with with everywhere. You haven't seen it a ton at Penn State. We talked about Jack Pugh, um, you know, a couple of months ago before he made his decision when he picked Wisconsin over Penn State, came in with his parents and checked things out. I think there's some value in it because really you're you're not going to find a different spot where you can uh, or a different way to approach this. Virtual visits are fine. Virtual visits are not going to show you the feeling that you need to get for for a certain place. And I think that some players and some prospects have sort of fallen into that trap where you've fallen in love with the virtual visit. Then when you show up there, it's going to be very different. So showing up on campus and and doing what you can to do the research because there's only so much of of it that you can do right now is 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 sort of vital to this process. Penn State has hosted um, you know a couple of guys so far. They've got a, a big one coming in this weekend as well, which I wrote about on Friday morning. Um, so I, it, it's tough to gauge the value that the prospect can get out. But when that's all you have, that's that's what you're going to have to work with. So I'm I'm curious to see what kind of impact this can have on on certain guys on the on the board. I mean, is it going to result in some sort of re- recruiting momentum? I don't think so. I don't think that we've really seen that uh, anywhere. We've had guys that have gone on road trips that, you know, for example, Donovan McMillan um, out in Western PA, went to Texas A&M, went to Florida, went to Blacksburg. That's a very interesting trip because those are three three places where you're obviously going just for the football program. You're obviously just going to to see the university. So State College kind of lines up in that, uh, in that thing. So you've got guys that are going to drive six hours, seven hours just to see the town. That to me says there's serious interest there. And that to me, 
uh, is just sort of the next step to getting where you need to be and doing your research to get to uh, to get to a certain a point where you're ready to make a decision. Because let's be honest, I think these the reality is hitting after months of not being able to visit places. The reality is hitting that you're probably not going to be able to do it this fall either. And, and it, I think about a guy like Dante Thornton and and how spread out his top list is. And I know that top list doesn't include Penn State. Maybe po- folks are tired of hearing about him, but you just wonder if you know how's that work. If you know if you're talking about all these co- cross country destinations, maybe you've gotten there, maybe you haven't. But I feel like you know even driving to a place like Penn State right now, if if you're coming up from Virginia, Maryland, even New Jersey, you know it, it, it's it's you. There's something to be said for experiencing the trip to campus from your hometown because you have a better understanding of what your parents would be dealing with when they come to visit, when you want to get back, how long it would take you, what that travel is going to be like. And, you know, for some people, I think right now, just thinking about getting on an airplane or showing up to an airport is going to raise your blood pressure just under these circumstances. So, I, you know, I, I think it's very, you know, very interesting for players who are, are making their first trip to some of these schools and, and, and they might be ghost towns right now and you're not going to be able to interact with the current players like you typically would. And you just, it's just so different. But I just, again, I can't imagine enrolling at a university, much less committing at a university without setting foot on campus and just having an understanding of, of what your surroundings would be like in any way, shape or form. I, you know, I'll do respect to what everyone's trying to do with their virtual initiatives. That wouldn't cut it for me as a recruit. That wouldn't cut it for me as a parent of a recruit. Um, so, you know, it, it, I think at the very least, uh, it shows that Penn State is uh, at least you know on the mind of these players who are willing to, to make the travel because it's not like you're going to run to state college on the way to somewhere else typically you, you know this is a destination that you're getting to for a reason um, and by the way I just double checked it looks like the the Berkey Creamery is doing curbside pickup now for a while I think they were closed and it was online only because that's always clearly something that we hear coming out of, of these first visits went to the creamery had that experience looks like they may be able to pick up uh, a scoop or two curbside now. So something that I wanted to check in on. Wait, well, obviously that's the important information here. But <laughs> and, and it's interesting because, you know, if you go to a place, um, you know, like State College in the summer where there's not many uh, people around, I mean, it, it could ultimately backfire on you. But this is the sort of not the risk that you have to take because you're not the one hosting the visit. But this is the the, the circumstances that you're going to have to deal with. You mentioned Thornton. Thornton's one of the lucky ones because he's been on the radar so long. He's been able to visit Oregon. He's been able to get out and visit uh, uh, some of these schools. And McMillan, though, right? I mean, yeah, what, what does I mean, he do? You look at these guys that are spring risers that, that would have gotten their or did get their offers in the spring evaluation period and really would have used that time to get out and, and see schools maybe take an official visit in June or something like that. Guys like George Wilson, who's about to announce, and um, guys like Davon Townley that, that Penn State has recently turned up the heat on. Diego Pounds in, in North Carolina is a guy that Penn State offered on, uh, I think, March 17th. So just right after the shutdown happened. So you've got all these guys that you know really didn't have a chance to get into their recruitment and now all of a sudden uh, some of these guys are, are taking trips some of these guys are setting announcements and you know that's really kind of the the line that we're walking right now speaking of which George Wilson uh, about to announce on on July 12th he's been to North Carolina he hasn't been to any of the uh, other schools on his list which include Penn State so I mean how do you feel good about that if you're Penn State I mean I know they're pushing but I mean that's really the situation that's how the situation has dictated how this recruiting cycle has gone. And obviously from a Penn state perspective, it has not gone well as, as well as planned. 
John Scott has been you know, recruiting with a hand tied behind his back here because he can't get these guys on campus. He, he has familiarity with a lot of these offers that went out late winter, early spring from his time at South Carolina, but you know, he may have hosted them or, or interacted with them down there. Hasn't happened in Happy Valley. He, he got a late jump on, on on joining the staff, and I think that was, what, the second or th- even going into the third week of, of February before he, he was on board. And, and so he had less than a month before the campus shut down. And that was a dead right. period, too. So and, what, and what has he been able to actually do face-to-face as a Penn State coach? Nothing. I mean, you, you can Zoom these kids, and that's about it. And, and, and I get it. Everybody is in the situation where you can't get guys to campus, but when you replace half your staff, especially as late as that one happened in terms of, you know, he, he didn't even have a chance to get guys on campus for the, the February 1st weekend that, that people were, were still here. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a tough one because there's, there's no right answer. And, and, you know, I mean, we could talk excuses, reasons, all that stuff. When you couple together something like no visits and no coaches to establish yourself and get them on campus and take those visits, that's tough. That's tough to overcome, and, and we're seeing that in the results. North Carolina, the the heavy crystal ball favorite there. They've got a ton of momentum. We've discussed that a, a bit here on the show. It looks like they may add another piece this weekend with George Wilson. Another commitment date on the radar. This one feels like it matters more in terms of your attention, folks. Jamari Budden set to announce on July 17th. That is next Friday. Um, Penn State feeling the love in the crystal ball. This is a player out of Belleville, Michigan. Close ties to some of the other Detroit commits that are already on board with Penn State. They've got three of them on the defensive side of the ball. And, And Sean, a week out here. Do you are you feeling like this is commitment number thirteen on on the way for the Nittany Lions? Yeah, I'm I'm agreeing with the crystal ball here. Uh, Steve and Allen obviously very much tied into this one. Belleville's a good place to be, um, and, and, and Penn State knows that. And Budden's been a guy that's that's you know you you look at and you can project, and you know the tape is not great in terms of linebacker skills, but at the same time he he checks a lot of the other boxes. Uh, physically looks fantastic. He can run pretty well. Um, so I, I think that, you know, he's a guy worth taking a chance on. Um, is it the ideal linebacker class with, with he and Kobe King? I think in terms of playing off of one another, they're different kinds of linebackers. So you get that chance, uh, you get, you get a chance to see what those guys will develop and, and turn into. But at the same time, it's just not at the level that they've been recruiting linebacker, which, you know, let's be honest, is, is really not sustainable to bring in five stars, just countless you know five stars year after year but still it's uh you know i think budden would be a solid addition to this class um and it, it kind of uh goes along with the uh w- with the theme so far and which is you know just kind of not where you thought it would be but at the same time you know it's not dire straits or anything like that but in uh six foot two 210 pounds the number 21 outside linebacker in 24 7 sports composite rankings just outside the top 300 overall and a top 10 prospect out of Michigan. Uh, whereas Sean mentioned, you've got Kobe King at linebacker, his twin brother, Kalen King set to play cornerback and then Jalen Reed out of MLK in Detroit uh, safety. So uh, a lot of, a, a lot is riding on this group out of Michigan so far. Cause we're talking about that being a, a pretty much a quarter of your class. Maybe this time, maybe next Friday heading into the weekend uh, where you've got four of 13 
coming from that area. Still some other pursuits involved. The other one that popped up this week, and this kind of ties in perfectly with what we just discussed regarding the lack of visits, is Damon Harmon. Uh, this is notable for a couple reasons. Number one, uh, he's a cornerback who picked up a Penn State offer, um, I think March, early March, late February, you know, right, bef- right on the verge of, of everything falling apart from a recruiting standpoint and what you can do. Uh, but he has gotten a bunch of, of his interest coming into the shutdown. And with Harmon, he's go, he goes to Highland Springs High School in Virginia. He's a teammate of Kelvin Gilliam, who, who we've mentioned really being near the top or at the top of the defensive line target board, uh, for a while, projects as a defensive tackle, a four star talent. Harmon here is focused in on five, on a, on a group of schools here. It's, it's Georgia, Oklahoma, Penn State, South Carolina, and Tennessee, Sean. The only school he has visited was South Carolina. That that was last November for the Clemson game. And he got an offer, I believe, while on campus in November. The rest of these offers have come either right before the shutdown or during the shutdown. He hasn't visited any of the other four. And as of right now, there's one crystal ball pick to Oklahoma. Any read on here? Any kind of read at all? <laughs> uh, my read would be that if he's announcing on August 1st, I don't think it's going to be Penn State. I mean, just based on what's there. But then again, I, I have a tough time seeing people that haven't visited anywhere commit to any school. So, I mean, that's that's kind of where I'm at from a philosophical standpoint. Um, so, that would be my read on that. Um, whether he's going to Oklahoma, South Carolina, whatever, um, it's another one of those decisions that was made based on the the virtual recruiting and things like that. So, we'll see how that, that holds up. But it's... Uh, Definitely an interesting turn of events because when he came out with that top five, he I think he told you or he told Brian Doan, hey, I'm going to wait for visits. Uh, yeah, I'm not he was making a decision. Adamant. He was pretty adamant about it. So that's how things change in recruiting. And it's kind of crazy. I mean, he's he's been good with the Penn State staff in terms of talking to them, in terms of keeping up with them. But, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of these guys have a lot of time on their hands and they've, they've been good with a lot of staff. So uh, this is certainly not one Penn State's uh, holding out all hope for, but, uh, the, you know, they're in that top five. And this is the you know, the situation where you just imagine in, in the reality that we knew, you probably have Harmon and Gilliam on campus together and, you know, see where it takes you. And, and fortunately for Penn State, Gilliam did get to campus in January. And, and that's an experience that he that he can he can call upon for for Penn State when he's considering them. And he has said that this is kind of a, a contrast between those teammates, whereas Harmon, you know, initially said he wanted to take visits before any decision. And now he's backtracked off of that. Gilliam has consistently said, I'm waiting until after my senior season to announce and, and I'm, and I'm hopeful I can make visits between now and then. If he can't, at least he's gotten to Penn State. We know that, that there's a nice relationship in place there. Harmon, good luck figuring this thing out. Uh, the 24 seven sports crystal ball kind of tells the story there. And, um, if it's not South Carolina, if it's one of those other four finalists, Penn State, Tennessee, Georgia, Oklahoma, he's committing to a school that has never hosted him on campus, and he wouldn't be the first, and he won't be the last this cycle to do that. So there's three commitment dates that are set that that Penn State has been in on, and as we said, it's George Wilson, looks like he said in North Carolina, Jamari Budden certainly seems to be pointing toward Penn State, and Damon Harmon, if you happen to know the answer there, maybe throw it in the five-star mailbag and let us know, because uh, we're not quite sure, and that's going to lead us into the mailbag now, and, and we're going to get to a question here regarding uh, recruiting to start off, and, and really one of the, the, the foundational things of recruiting is getting an offer, and Tim Tebow, GOAT, wants to know, 
How does a recruit find out he's getting an offer? Does the team send him a personalized package in the mail? Does James Franklin call him up and tell him they're offering? Does his high school coach tell him first? Sean, I'm going to kick this over to you, but this is very much an answer. Uh, You start with, well, it depends, dot, dot, dot. Yeah, it, it absolutely depends. And it depends on the, the class of the student athlete because right now coaches can call up 2021 prospects, but they can't call up the underclassmen. And, and honestly, that's where a lot of these offers are going to 2022, 2023. So it's a process. And we'll start it at Penn State where, where it goes through. You've got guys that, uh, you know, get the film and look at the film, cut up the film, a bunch of recruiting interns. You've got guys um, who sort of run the, the film up the chain of command. The coaches watch it. And then multiple coaches watch it. Then they sort of have to get approval from the staff. And and it's loosened a little bit over the last year. Penn State's a little bit more, um, you know, handing the handing these offers out a little bit more, you know, just kind of how the times have changed. Because if you don't offer, you're not in it. I mean, you're clearly not in it. So um, they, they go around, they get approval, and they have these recruiting meetings where, you know, go through and say, I want to offer this guy. And, you know, it's got to get approval from the other guys on the staff and Franklin. And then they go out. And usually when you see offers go out, you see not just one offer, but a batch of them. And certain days when you've got four or five offers going out, usually means they had a, a morning meeting where they got this approved. So where does it go from there? typically goes through the high school coach. Um, you know, a lot of these schools where these kids have offers, there's a prior relationship between the high school coach and and one of Penn State's assistants. So you get that set up. Um, does that go through um, Terry Smith or Tim Banks or somebody like that? Or does it go through um, Dan Kabala, director of high school relations? You sort of got to get these guys on the same page, get them together, talk to the coach, um, do a little bit more research in terms of figuring out that that's a guy that will fit into your program. And then you sort of take the next step. You talk to the coach, you say to the coach, hey, we want to we want to offer your guy. And then it goes down the chain from there where you get the, you know, maybe get the kid on the phone with the coach or you maybe, you know, you typically when you would do this during a spring evaluation period or something, you would bring the, the kid into uh, the coach's office and they would all sit down and talk and things like, or you would bring the kid in the coach's office and talk on the phone and make that offer or something like that. So it's something where you um, sort of work up from one one angle and then you work it down. And it's typically through the high school coach. Sometimes the parents are involved if you have that conversation, uh, if you have that connection with the with the Penn State coach. So um, it's what's interesting here in relation to the question, does the team send them a personalized package? Well, actually, all these offers are verbal offers. I mean, and verbal offers and written offers mean exactly the same. I mean, there's, there's no, uh, legal binding to a written offer. You can send written offers out to anybody. I mean, you don't have to, uh, honor it. You don't have to act on it or anything like that. Um, it's just a nice way of, of social media flex too. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's turned into that. It's turned into, um, you know, more so a graphic, a recruiting graphic than an actual binding document for, for an offer. So, um, the, the, the only binding documents are what they send them just before, um, you know, they sign or they, they take that paperwork or some, you know, some of these guys, you know, apply to school and pay or paid acceptance, which is why you see certain guys that are, um, you know, sort of, uh, flaunted out there on, on social media or recognized on social media before it happens. So, um, so you can't really send them a package until, um, basically September 1st of their senior year. So, 
by that point, most of the recruiting is done. Most of the class has been filled up. So really doesn't matter. So all these are verbal. Um, they come with different, uh, you know, levels of, you know, maybe the coach or maybe you're offering two kid, two or three kids at that school. Maybe Franklin gets on or James Franklin gets on with the coach. A lot of times it's done through the assistant, but, you know, sometimes um, it's warranted that the head coach gets out there. Um, you know, it, it's important to, to keep these. Um, I guess open chains of communication open, especially between the the college coach and the high school coach, because that's going to be sort of your li- liaison to go through. That's going to be the guy that you you look to to sort of establish the contact and and maybe even help you recruit in some instances. So I think that's kind of a good synopsis of how that works. Everyone's different. Sometimes you can get in touch with the kids. Sometimes you got to go through the parents. Sometimes you got to go through the coach. But that's typically how an offer sort of takes root and goes from there. The collective approach of the staff is so important here and, and ha- the, making sure that they're consistent with that communication with the with the coach, with the player they plan to offer, making sure they understand what goes into that offer, whether, you know, we need to get you up here for a camp, um, you know, th- those kind of strings that might be attached. But in general, you got to make sure the head coach, the positional coach, the regional coach uh, who's recruiting that area all on the same page. I, you know, you sometimes see awkward situations uh, depending on the staff where everyone wasn't on the same page and it leads to some really tricky kind of having to jump through hoops to either get out of accepting a commitment or reminding the kid that, no, we did offer you. Cause sometimes the kid will say, I don't think that school offered me. And the staff will think that they had offered the kid two, three months earlier. And then all of a sudden you're behind on uh, And I've seen staffs have to address that. And it's a very awkward situation. And sometimes it gets very heated among coaches when there's any miscommunication in that, in a scenario like that. Well, it's, and it's also turned into a, a different recruiting pitch is, oh, we offered you months ago. We just didn't think you were interested. And you can sort of fall on that crutch and say, <laughs> yeah. okay, well, I mean, yeah, we, we just, that, that's on you. And, and sometimes it's the coach messing up and sometimes it's the, you know, a miscommunication. It actually is a miscommunication, but we've seen the schools that have said, Oh no, we, we, we definitely want you. We, we've wanted you for a long time. You just didn't get the message or something like that. So I think that that's something that it's turned into. And it's funny because on the flip side, you see, especially during this time, you see guys that are just flat out talking to coaches and there's no mention of an offer, no mention of, Hey, we want to offer, you know, no coach coming out and saying, Hey, we want to offer you a scholarship. And then 30 minutes later, that kid posts on Twitter that he's got a scholarship offer because he talked to a coach. I mean, that's, that's sort of, uh, where the miscommunications sometimes lie. And beyond that, I mean, there's no way to come out. I mean, there are ways, but there's no way for a college coach to come out and say, well, that's not that's not a real offer. We didn't we didn't offer this kid because it's they, a bad they look every time too. It's a bad it? look, at, yeah. And if you try to to do that, I mean, it's the, there's no right guy in that situation because if you you can't talk to the media about recruiting, that's why we don't have James Franklin coming out and giving you the status of where they stand with uh, <laughs> Nolan Rucci and Derek Davis and all that right. kind of stuff. But at the same time, I mean, they're, they're, it, it's it's a funny situation. I mean, recruiting is is very funny when you get into the man. Um, I'm I imagining. The, I'm imagining coach speak press conferences specifically about ongoing recruitments. I mean, that oh, would just awful. be marvelous. It would be awful. Yeah. yeah. I mean, oh it's, my uh, gosh. but uh, <laughs> when you get into the little detail, the minute details about what one person says and what one person hears, it's kind of, it's what kind of makes recruiting interesting and crazy at the same time. And let me just say my favorite kinds of offers. I've had a chance to sit in, uh, in the room during a couple of these back in the day at a different school, but you hear about them here, even at Penn State and, and the emotions that go into it. 
after the camp, kid came on a mission, like a Tyler Elsden last year or a Jair Brown, and then they get called on for extra work after camp, and that's nerve-wracking, and you know you're being pretty much scrutinized by the staff in that moment. You could lose or gain the scholarship, and, and that could be it. And then you get called into the office, and I mean, there's just got to be so many butterflies. You sit down, mom, dad might be with you, whoever brought you to that camp, and the offer comes from Franklin, and, and then you end up seeing the, the aftermath, the photos that go on with the staff and the family from the office that go on to social media. But those are, I think, really the, the most special offers, particularly when we're talking about a kid who's getting in the latter stages. Um, you know, it's one thing when it's a rising sophomore and it's going to be one of his 50 offers. It's another when it's a kid who's been really passionate about trying to pick up an offer from a university or at that point, maybe he doesn't have a lot of power five interest. And, and that's something that it just it, those moments stick with you, I think. And when we even hear hear them kind of um, described to us on, on phone calls and interviews with players, you can you know, you can just a different level of emotions in that than there is, you know, when a kid's just saying for the fourth time today, I'm blessed and honored to receive an offer from school X. It's just it's a different vibe. And I think those are the offers that always stick with me. Yeah. And that's and the way that that we've gone in the process, even before the shutdown is kind of. Um, you know, those offers mean less and less every year. And that's unfortunate, but I mean, kind of the reality of the situation. That's why Penn State has offered, uh, eight 2023, you know, current freshmen that are, that will be sophomores next year in state. I mean, they just kind of get, that's interest anymore. Offers have become interest. And that's, uh, really kind of where we're at. And, you know, it's, uh, it, it, it makes for some interesting headlines when the kid actually picks, you know, some, some school when he doesn't have those options available to him anymore. But I mean, that's kind of the, that's kind of how you got to play with, play it if you're a staff now. All right. One more to get to. We'll send you out on this, uh, from Coatsy2127. He asked, um, he says, would say most people agree that either the Big Ten or the SEC is the best conference in football, uh, with the people either pointing to their overall depth or top heavy favorites. If you were a coach at a program capable of winning a national title, would you rather be in a conference that has more depth or more marquee big time games? I like this question, Sean. And, and to me, I think a, a coach would probably be content. I think I think the past two college football playoff appearances over the course of these years now, we have enough of a sample size to prove that if you can do what you're supposed to do against some lesser opponents, and maybe those are 75, 80% of your schedule, and then those big games at night, nationally televised games against the best in your conference, you take care of business there. Uh, you know, and, and maybe, you know, you're better for the better for the wear because you're not taking on a, a brutal war of attrition throughout the throughout the year because your conference is just so much parody and there's so much strength there. I would lean towards having two or three other big bad squads in the conference and having an opportunity to kind of go through everybody else with a buzzsaw on an annual basis, then have to kind of trudge along uh, week after week. And this is strictly me saying, not from a competitive standpoint, I think everybody wants to face the best and beat the best week in, week out. But let's be honest, if you want to go to the college football playoff and win the whole thing or get to your conference championship, you want to handedly take care of most of your opponents Get some guys, get guys some rest as much as you can late in those games, and then really show up in those primetime matchups when everybody's watching and the committee's going to weigh those with such a, a such a stronger set of value than they will when you're facing a two win team at a different phase of your conference schedule. Or you could be in the ACC 
I mean, there's that too. I was kind of just, I was, I was going to say that is like the extreme, uh, I mean, uh, of, of what I just described where, you know, what, what do you have? I mean, on any given year, there's maybe one, two other teams in the ACC that, that anyone thinks much of. And it wasn't always that way. And, and until recently, Florida State was a, a team competing for national championships, but Clemson has pretty much had the ideal launching pad towards the college football playoff. They haven't been penalized for that. They've won championships off of that. Uh, so I think, again, based on what we understand, what the college playoff uh, you know, path entails, you're not going to get credit for losing by three points in September against a really good nine-win team in your conference. Uh, yeah, as, as, as that, that way, it's going to weigh differently than than you know beating the the twelve-win squad. I, I don't. I, what I'm saying is, you want to face fewer tough opponents. I mean, at the end of the day, I hate to say it, that that's really what it is. Yeah, I'm with you. And and in the last two playoffs, I mean, there's only been two. You know, one each year. There's been one lost teams. So everybody else has been undefeated. So you want to you know play as many of those. You know, I don't want to call them easily winnable games, but games you definitely should win. And then you know your season could hinge on say Penn State, Ohio State. So yeah, I I think that that's the way to go. I mean, you're, you're gonna get. Uh, situations, especially like in the SEC West and the Big Ten East, where where teams will beat each other up and be out because of that. Um, but but at the same time, I mean, you 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 see which schools have made the playoff over and over again, and it's you know these teams that play the the big schedules. Now it's it's interesting that you know where Clemson and Oklahoma fit into that. Both schools that have been to the playoff multiple times, where you really don't have either of those. Um, but if, if you're in this situation and, and this question was kind of asked Big Ten or SEC, I, I agree with you. I say, you know, you want to be favored in 10 games. You want one to maybe be a toss up and you want uh, the other one to be your biggest game of the year, which is kind of the schedule that Ohio State plays. And it's kind of the schedule that Penn State has worked its way to playing. Yeah. Would anybody out there in, in Nittany Lions uh, fan nation want to swap the trip to Nebraska for a trip to Wisconsin at the first Saturday of November? I don't think so. Would Would you like to knock Maryland off the schedule in, in late November and uh, perhaps instead host Minnesota in, in that slot? Just, you know, <laughs> that that is what I'm, what I'm talking about here. Um, you know, well, there's something... Yeah, there's something to be said for something for to be said for the, for doing that for playing that schedule. I mean, playing that schedule that LSU plays and and Alabama plays and Auburn plays and and you know it, you, where you're going to see a couple of those teams every year. I mean, but when you take that number and you you know sort of narrow it down to basically uh, you know Penn State and Ohio State and Michigan, sort sort of that that w- what we see in the Big Ten East, it's it's different because you, you know, there's less chance for you to slip up. And, and what we've seen is, you know, if you're Auburn and Auburn's a fantastic program and Auburn's won a national championship and Auburn's done some, some great things. Um, but at the same time, when you have Alabama on the schedule, you have LSU on the schedule. I mean, you trip up in one of those games. Now all of a sudden you're on the outside looking in of the SEC championship game, which kind of takes away from your resume. It just sort of builds up from there. So, and, and that's not even including, you know, a, a trip to college station for Texas A&M or, or, you know, one of those crossover games where you play a Georgia or Florida or something like that. So there's just so much that can go wrong, you know, and, and, you know, it, it we talk about, out-of-conference scheduling and really out-of-conference scheduling hasn't made the difference that you think it would when you talk about playing some of these big-time games. Would you rather be the best two-loss team in the country where everyone pats you on the back and says, man, look at that schedule you faced and you came out with two losses. Uh, wow, you you know, you belong in the top 10, impressive stuff. Or would you rather be the team that goes 12-0 and in the regular season and has everybody giving you the finger and saying you didn't play anybody 
Well, guess which team's going to be in the playoff? The the, the 12-0 squad, and they're going to have the opportunity to knock down that door and win a national title. The 10-2 team's going to get a lot of respect, but they're probably playing in the Citrus Bowl or or somewhere else on New Year's. So, you know, that's just kind of the lay of the land right now, the way I see it. Yeah, and and you're not not sure which, you know, which years these schools are going to pop up. I mean, LSU, nine or 10 win program for a couple of years, and all of a sudden, put together one of the best runs we've ever seen. And, you know, that that's going to affect Alabama. It's going to affect Auburn and, you know, eventually Georgia and, and those other schools that that are in the mix. And and let's be honest, I mean, the, the pool is not that deep in terms of college football playoff contenders. So you start to thin out that herd and all of a sudden, you know, it's it, it, it makes that selection very easy. And like I said, I'll be happy to uh, talk to you about this in a couple of months, and uh, hopefully oh, we're hopefully to. we're in a situation where we're comparing conferences and comparing who can make the playoff. Uh, but I mean, that's obviously a long way off. Which brings me back to the potential, you know, things that are lost in the out of conference play. So much when we get to the end of the season, people point to what did you do, who did you play outside the conference. Not part of the equation right now, as we alluded to. At least in the Big Ten, I would imagine. Others, along with the ACC, will follow suit, uh, perhaps before our next episode. Uh, again, a lot can happen in a span of hours these days. Uh, we will get back to you with a, a couple more episodes next week, talk more football, talk about those 15 players that, that Sean put together, most vital to Penn State's success uh, this upcoming fall, and see if we have some kind of updates, whether it's from Sandy Barber or from the Big Ten, about how things are shaping up for the Penn State schedule, which right now uh, seems like we've only just learned the first mode of the adjustment more to come there a lot of coverage up online 247.com right now from our conversations with zach coons jonathan sutherland reaction to the big 10 schedule change and what it means for penn state and of course some recruiting updates there as well drop your five-star rating and review to throw your question in the five-star mailbag on apple podcast uh, like we had a couple today we got a bunch to get to next week uh, listen on apple Podcasts, spotify stitcher stay informed on the website where you can get 30% off an annual VIP subscription or $1 for a one-month look at the site right now. Sean, that's going to wrap things up. I wish you a great weekend. I certainly wish the same for our listeners. Hopefully, we'll have more positive news next week, but uh, we'll have to wait and stay tuned. For now, stepping aside, this is the Lions 24-7 Podcast.